I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Centre Parks to my Haven Holidays. It's Justin Peach. Good day, good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? Yeah, really good. Really good, thanks. It's uh, yeah, been, a, been an enjoyable weekend for, for me. Um, not obviously on holiday at Centre Parks, otherwise it would be a disaster, obviously. It would just be like something from The Walking Dead, wouldn't exactly. it? <laughs> <laughs> on the show this week, we're joined by Brady Frost from the Huddersfield Podcast and he takes that chance. Brady, how's it going? I'm good and not held against my will on this podcast like you would be at Centre Park. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, what a what a disastrous PR week it has been for them. Also, with us making his second tier debut is Adam Pendlebury from the Wigan podcast Progress with Unity. Adam, are you well? Adam, yeah. Can you hear me, Adam? Apologies for that. Yeah, we've, yeah, we've, right. we've only just got Wi-Fi in Wigan. Um, <laughs> And uh, with our current form, I want to move up as far away from Wigan as possible because we certainly do a lot better on the road. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, his second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Um, we will start off by talking about Steve Morrison being sacked. Well, we won't start talking up, start off on the podcast about talking about that because that happens when me and Justin were recording our middle bit, which we record separately to the rest of the podcast. So me and Justin will talk about that in the news section of the podcast. But otherwise, we're here to talk about all the games from the championship this past weekend, as well as any of the news from the past few days. So let's kick things off with Huddersfield, shall we? Fresh off the back of sacking Danny Schofield, they got their second win of the season at home to Cardiff, kind of a El Sakico kind of situation in the end, wasn't it? They beat them 1-0. Brady, how was the game? It was your typical caretaker, scrappy win. Um, you know, we looked nervous at the back, which has been a, a theme for, for Huddersfield this season. Um, you know, had a good bit of quality from Jordan Rhodes with the finish, but very kind of backs against the wall. I think the referee um, wasn't the best. I know where uh, referees get a lot of stick, but I think he was poor for both teams and tried his best to even things out, certainly in the first half for Cardiff and then get everything to us. But um, yeah, it was good. Um, and also, you know, the... Uh, Nasic, who's you know took temporary charge, he played four four two, which uh, delighted some of the more older fans, shall we say? So uh, two strikers who in twenty twenty two, crazy four four fucking two. And the highlight of the game for me was uh, Callum Robinson seemingly attempting a no look penalty, which is a new one, never seen that before. But you'll be surprised to hear it didn't work out for him. And Cardiff are struggling though, aren't they, Justin? Five points from a possible 21 in their last seven games. And now Steve Morrison's been sacked as well. This comes after Justin Peach tipped them to do quite well this season. I didn't tip them to do quite well. I expected them to have a season where they may or may not go through the motions. Um, and 
they have got quality in their team. It's been a big transitional summer for them, and I did expect Steve Morrison to get a little bit more time. But I thought this was a game where they did okay, didn't create enough chances. Um, they don't score enough goals, which is evident, but they have shown spells of life. They're coming off the back of a very good midweek win against Middlesbrough, for example. So, yeah, it's been a strange one. And had Robinson put his penalty away, it could have been a completely different game for Cardiff. You know, Huddersfield, not in the best of form, not in good, uh, not, not with any confidence at all. It could have easily been a route from that point. Maybe, maybe not. I'm, I'm speaking figuratively, obviously. But, yeah, it just seems a strange one off the back of this game. I thought Steve Morrison deserved more time and I thought it wasn't the worst performance in the world. Brady, Danny Schofield lost his job this week. Right decision for you? Yeah, it's kind of with a heavy heart, really. I think, um, you know, Carlos leaving three weeks before the season starts, I think that kind of surprised the club. And then I think if you look at the decision uh, three weeks for the season to go um, and the promise of consistency and carrying on Carlos's methods, it made quite a lot of sense. Um, the thing that let Danny Schofield down, you know, obviously legend, legend at the club for what he did as a player, um, he just didn't keep that consistency. Um, you know, he changed stuff to quite quickly. You know, um, pre-season we were playing with a back four. That wasn't working. Two games in, he changes to a back three. It was it was sad because, you know, I think a lot of fans have sympathy for him. Some feel like he was maybe um, chucked in it. I think uh, there's you could argue that to a degree, but also I, I certainly think he didn't help himself. And, you know, when he took the job, it kind of came out with... Um, Lee Bromby, our director of football operations, that you know they were kind of thinking it in two years' time. Um, so, just wasn't ready, unfortunately. I think everyone wanted to make it work, and you know, I know hindsight is a wonderful thing, but looking back on it with the kind of shock of Carlos leaving, maybe it would have been better to give him uh, the role as interim manager. You know, could have seen if he'd gone well and earned himself a, a full-time deal, or you know, he could have gone back and been a coach in the club because he's highly regarded as a coach whereas I think the sad thing is we've lost someone who's means a lot to the club you know a lot of people like him um, and unfortunately he's sacked and we're not really going to see him at the club anymore so it's a shame but it was the right decision. Hmm. Well the big question is Brady who do you want to come in there have been numerous reports about David Wagner making a return Paul Warren's been linked with the job as well who would you like? I, it's tricky because when if you look past those two there's not really the issue is if we were going to go for like a Liam Manning or a Michael Carrick or someone like that, um, the time to do that would have been at the start of the season. I think this is not quite a firefighter's job, but um, you know we're at, we're at the bottom, wrong end of the table, and I think this squad is is a lot better. Um, it shouldn't really be anywhere near the relegation zone, in my opinion. Wagner, um, the recruitment team, we'd love to bring back former players at town, but I do have my concerns. I, I think. Um, Short term, he would bring it would bring a big boost. I, I don't think you can deny that. I think it would unite the fan base because it has been quite toxic already this season, which is a shame. Um, and we can see his methods. And if you look at where he's been at previously with Young Boys and Schalke, they do have an uptick in form straight away. I think it's just... I, I feel like he maybe thinks... I, I, I don't know, because I, obviously I don't know Dave Wagner, but he's kind of managing the Champions League. He's managing the Europa League and... I wonder, I know his managerial career has not gone the same, but part of me thinks he would be looking at the first good opportunity that came in way. He, he would probably take that. Um, and we've seen, you know, since he's left Huddersfield, it, it does kind of stagnate. So um, short term, I think that could work, Fagner. Personally, I, I would like Paul Warren. Um, this is no disrespect to Rotherham. And they're doing amazing. But 
they have previously been a bit of a yo-yo club in the championship. Um, I think they've started incredibly well. And I really like Paul Warren as a personality. Um, I think it it's not, I wouldn't say it's a sideways step, but it's not like a huge jump. I saw people saying the Norwich job with Dean Smith didn't do well, but obviously he's, he's doing fine. Um, I think that could work. I think the town, the town fans would like him. And then, to be honest, I think the issue is with Huddersfield's structure, um, you know, we have a director of football operations and we've lost Carlos because of that and lost Danny, Danny Cowley because of that. And I think we need a big personality to kind of not fight back, but also hold his own. And I think Paul Warren is that. And I think he deserves, you know, I, I personally, if it wasn't my club, I think I'd be interested to see where he would go next from Rotherham because I think he deserves a crack at and see how he gets on somewhere else. So, yeah, Warren for me. Yeah, we've been saying for a while, haven't we, Justin? That uh, it'll be interesting to see how Paul Warren does at a... Open quotation marks, mm-hmm. bigger club. Yeah, so that that would definitely be interesting. Let's go to Wigan. They were beaten for only the second time in the season, losing one nil at home to Reading. Adam, how was the game? Um, not the greatest, to be honest. Um, I think it was two teams cancelling each other out. Um, first 10, 15 minutes, uh, we flew out of the blocks, really confident after the win at Huddersfield on. Tuesday night. I think if we'd have scored there, I think Reading might have been the type of side that would have collapsed. But they grew into the game. Um, they had two or three really good chances. Um, scored a really good goal. We huffed and puffed. We had a couple of decent chances towards the end. Some good patterns of play. But we do struggle in the in the home games, when we've got a lot more possession to actually break teams down. Um, and it's something that I think Liam Richardson understands. Um, actually finding a resolution to that is not necessarily as easy, but he's got over bigger challenges than this uh, in the past. Uh, and I'm very confident that he'll work it out. Yeah, I was going to say, Adam, it's actually been a brilliant start, really, for Wigan so far, hasn't it? Have you been surprised by how well they've started? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, we've won at Luton, who were in the playoffs, um, and then we won at Birmingham, where um, for 80 minutes of that match, uh, we played with, with 10 men, picked up a point of Norwich, uh, Norwich who, you know, a, a Pretty much a dead cert top six side in my in my view. The only side who's ripped us to pieces is Burnley. It wasn't an easy start to the season, and um, I think what I've been impressed with is that the, the players are kind of learning on the job. They've really they've really upped it. We 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 haven't brought many players in. The players that we have brought in have been kind of players that we've tended to introduce from the bench. So it's pretty much our League One winning side from last season. So I, I quite like I quite like what we've done in terms of recruitment. I think we've brought players in who can certainly push the players that we've got. They know that they have to be up to standards, but but Liam Richardson, uh, his coaches, and the team have given them that opportunity to improve. So I'm a very happy Wigan fan. Yeah, just in the goal in this game came from a beautiful free kick by Tom Ince, who has been on fire this season. And every time Reading lose, Justin, I expect their results to start going badly, but then they bounce back again and just keep proving us wrong. Yeah, as it 
yeah, as it turns out, it's just a case of losing four nil uh, or, or three nil, um, and and Reading will get a result the next game. It's 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 a weird formula that Paul Ince has instilled in the team, but it seems to be working for them very nicely. Um, but I think on 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 the basis of this game, is it lacked it lacked a lot of quality. The only moment of real quality came from Tom Ince, was which was the free kick, and that's where Reading will want to be in the away game. So they'll want to reduce teams to barely anything going forwards and rely on the key men to do the business, the likes of Lucas Schaal, Tommins. There are there are there are match winners in that team and and in this case it happened for Reading with that uh, really well hit free kick by by Thomas Ince. Thomas. You sound like Paul. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, finally Adam, many people are tipping Wigan uh, to be in or around the bottom three this season. Is your aim still to stay up? I think it's gotta be really um you know, in terms of uh, the budget and, you know, obviously having to uh, pretty much uh, a League One side with, with just two or three additional players. But what I would say is that I think at this level, there's a lot to be said for sort of team ethic, organisation and set pieces. And although yesterday probably wasn't the best example in terms of our set pieces, uh, sort of in Rob Kelly and James Beattie as the coaches, we, we were the best side last year in terms of set pieces in League One. We've started this season well in the Championship. So I think we've got a lot of the key components maybe to be looking a little bit further up the league. Uh, I'm not saying we're going to win the league with 100 points, clearly, but <laughs> but I'm, I think maybe I'm a bit more optimistic than just staying up. Staying up and being relatively solid when we kind of come to that sort of uh, April time for me. I, I, I genuinely think we've got enough to do that. We've still got January to come. Recruitment's very good. Two or three additional players there. Young players improving. So all in all, I think in summary, I'm looking above the bottom three. Adam and Brady, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both later to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. In the meantime, it's time for Justin and I to go travelling around the grounds. And we'll start off with a West Midlands derby between Birmingham and Coventry. It finished 0-0, but if their respective starts or anything to go by, both these two could be looking over their shoulders this season. Jerry Crone is from the Coventry podcast, The Knee Lampty Show. Jerry, how's the game? Yeah, the game itself was mildly entertaining, I would say. I think uh, a nil-nil probably based more on two sides with impotent attacks rather than spectacular defences. Um, but a lot better. Out of the first clean sheet that we've kept this season, which is a small step in the right direction, the only flying the ointment for us was the, the second red card in what I think is five games for, for Gus Harmer, which would be uh, really quite impressive if it wasn't so annoying. Yeah, as you say, small positives, um, but Coventry haven't won a game yet. So where do you think things have gone wrong so far? Uh, So a double whammy of the postponed home games has left us kind of behind in terms of how long it's taken all the clubs to get up to speed and match fitness and things like that. Uh, Then the other thing is we lost Dom Hyam to Blackburn right at the edge of the window and we had Jake Clark Salter on loan from QPR last season who didn't return so we lost our two best defenders and Carl McFadden was very good for us last season but sometimes players have sort of one season too many and it does look possibly like in a weakened defence and with ageing legs 
He's not been terrible, but it's certainly a player on the wane. And so our defence has just been really, really poor. We've just given away goals, given away chances really easily. We have scored enough to be doing all right. And Victor still looks absolutely outstanding as usual. But the yeah, the defence really, really, really needs shoring up. Yeah, are you worried about being involved in a relegation battle? Of course, things can change very quickly in a few weeks' time. But is it something that's been on your mind at all? Well, I was expecting us to be in a relegation battle all last season and I still thought we'd probably be in a relegation battle even as we were challenging for the playoffs. So, you know, being a cop fan and worried about being in a relegation battle, you know, is a day-to-day struggle. So I, I'm, I would say I'm no more worried about it than I would be normally. But yeah, I think I've a lot of, of my mates and a lot of the cop fans that I've heard have already sort of semi-resigned themselves to relegation this season. It's hard to know what would come and change for things to pick up significantly there has been some talk of possibly being able to sign a free transfer defender but that seems to be either Gary Cahill or I don't think we could afford and we already have that same problem as he has with Carl McFadden as I mentioned before or Michael Hector who I don't think we could afford and you have to question why he hasn't been picked up already um, anyway so I, I don't know I think we can stay up but I think it's going to be a struggle Thanks, Joey. Yeah, Gustavo Hamer's sending off Justin was probably the most exciting part of this game. Who'd have thought you'd get sent off for kicking someone in the head? <laughs> the uh, the honey badger. Well, is that what we call him? The Hamer badger. That's the one. Hamer badger. Yeah. The Hamer badger. Yes. I mean, yeah, it's not really a surprise that he's kicked someone in the head because he's he's got that edge to him, and that's what makes him a good midfield player. Lost his discipline a little bit, but he, you know he does bring a lot of quality to this team, so you can sort of forgive him in a way. But at the same time. Um, it was a bit of a naughty tackle. I can't remember who it was now on the floor with Hannibal. That's the one. Yeah, um, yeah, it was a bit of a, a naughty challenge from Hannibal. So, yeah, not going to condone um, kicking someone in the head, but you can understand why he's frustrated to to some extent. But yeah, frustrating for Coventry that he wasn't on the pitch because maybe they could have grabbed something if he was yeah available for the full ninety. It's a part of his game that really lets him down from a Coventry's perspective. From a neutral perspective, it's great entertainment because you never know what's <laughs> going to happen next with him. And Coventry remain the only team in the Championship yet to win a game this season. On the DEFCON scale, how worried are you about them going down this season? Just in DEFCON 1 being, now nah, they'll be fine. DEFCON 10 being, they're in serious danger. DEFCON 10? Is there a DEFCON 10? I thought it just went up to 5, but for the sake of this, it goes up to 10. Okay, that makes it actually a bit easier for me because I can say DEFCON 5 in that case. I'm I'm still in the middle as to whether or not they might be in a relegation battle or not. I know a lot of Coventry fans will disagree with me, but my thinking and worry about it is they're obviously winless. I know Mark Robbins has stemmed that tide of defeats with the back-to-back draws, which is a very... It was it was much needed. Um, but but what worries me is, is the depth of the squad... Uh, it needed additions in the summer. They've got a relatively inexperienced backline in terms of games, apart from McVadzian uh, and Rose. They've got Panzo and, and Doyle in there. Played today, played very well uh, against Coventry today. Uh, sorry, against Birmingham. Um, but it is an experience to, to some extent with those two in in, in the side. Um, and there's a lot of games for them to to, to play. They've got. 10 months of football to fit into nine months because of the World Cup. I've said this before. Um, and they've also got a backlog backlog of games, which was increased last week um, because of the postponed fixtures. So that's what worries me about Coventry. Um, but they do have quality in their team. I do think they'll get up and running. It's just whether or not they've left it too late. Yeah, I think they should be fine. The squad is simply better. 
than at least three other teams in the division, which is the main reason why I think they'll be fine. There are obviously causes for concern. Selling Dom Hyam late in the window and not getting a replacement in was a strange move. And how will they cope with the extra games caused by the pitch chaos at the start of the season? They're both small worries for me at the moment. But you get Callum O'Hare back in the team, get Jokerez and Godden back in goal-scoring form, things will instantly start getting better because they have got some good players, Coventry, haven't they? They've got a good manager in Mark Robbins as well. So I'd be surprised, personally, if they were still in a relegation battle in, I don't know, five or six months' time. But Birmingham had won two on the bounce prior to this. They came the closest to winning this one as well. Uh, I think a lot of this is down to the introductions of Christian Bielik and Tariff Chong in midfield for me, Justin. They're just two players who really should be playing for teams looking at going up as opposed to one who will be happy with staying up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, Birmingham have got two very good midfielders in there, haven't they? They've got Chong who's, who can create, he can drive the team forward and they've got Bielik in there who, on his day, probably prior to his second knee injury, was the best midfielder in the in, in championship for for Derby. Um, he's he's a quality player and he brings a lot to the team. Um, but at the same time, it's that secondary that might impact him. But they 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 those two do add so much quality into that midfield. Um, and with a team that's going to work hard around them, um, it's going to help them massively keep the shapes um, solidly. And it gives John Eustace that ability to play through the thirds, which they've not had for I don't know how long. Because if you look at Gary Gardner, for example not a composed midfielder with the ball, especially playing through him. Um, so if you've got Chong and Bielik in behind Bakuna, there's a lot of composure in there. Um, not quite as much, uh, not not quite as much in this game as they needed, but you saw it against West Brom that they do have that ability to play through, play through the middle now, which can't remember the last time we were able to say that. Yeah, without a doubt. Do you think there's any team in football that has bigger hair than Birmingham City? Because you've got <laughs> Hannibal, Chong, Sanderson's yeah. hair is somewhat big it's just a lot of flowing locks in there isn't there a lot of hair Blackburn could could match them in terms of volume of hair a lot of a lot of uh, players for Blackburn have got some yeah, really really impeccable hairlines mm. and incredible length hair as well so I look forward to that game the the hair derby if we can coin yeah. it that way I think John Ruddy's letting the Birmingham team <laughs> but still uh, Swansea got their third win of the season at home to Hull beating them 3-0 Hull were absolutely shocking Awful, in fact. They they offered nothing going forwards. One shot on target all game. But defensively, it was a complete and utter disaster class. The, the last goal, Figueredo passes it straight to Piro. It was a gift. But the second one was it's just embarrassing, wasn't it? I'll be surprised if anyone's listening and hasn't seen it yet on Twitter, at very least, because it's been posted about a lot. And I can't even work out what's happened, Justin. I think... Initially, I thought the goalkeeper, Nathan Baxter, tackled, was it Figueredo? Yeah. But it didn't look like there was much contact. I, I, it was very, very strange. The bottom line is a fourth straight loss for Hall, Justin, and things have, after a decent start, things seem to have gone very badly very quickly. No, absolutely. I think, just to jump in on that that incident, I think Figueredo may have kicked his own ankle. And if anyone's ever kicked their own ankle with a football boot, my goodness, it is so high on the pain scale so it's a bad time to do it as well a terrible time to do it and obviously sort of summed up Figueredo's performance in a way that he's sort of self-harming after that but um yeah it was a it was a disaster disastrous performance defensively for for Hull and I don't think Swansea could have had an easier day 
in in front of goal. The amount of times they broke through into the final third was was quite scary, actually. I think from a Hall perspective, um, I don't think Piro. I think Piro would be very disappointed he's come away with one goal in this game. The amount of times he he broke through, I I don't I can't offer much in terms of um, constructive feedback for Hull on this game. It was absolutely dire, and I think it's been leading up to this point for Hull. The amount of chances they've been conceding week by week and the amount of goals they've been conceding week by week has just been increasing. And unfortunately, it's got to a point now where they're so bad defensively that it is impacting them going forwards because they're on the back foot. In this game, what really worried me the most was how easy Swansea found it going through uh, going through Hall, passing through Hall, no press. They weren't exactly solid structurally either. It was, um, yeah, it was it was a, a sight to a sight to behold. I think from a from a Hall perspective. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. Um, I had my concerns about Shotter Valadzi before the season started because Hall didn't seem much better than when he took over uh, then prior to when he took over I should say but they started the season well and he deserved a lot of credit for how they started having said that they were still conceding a lot of goals the thing was they were just outscoring the other team but the goals have dried up now non-scored in their last three they've conceded 21 goals Justin mm. from your first 10 games only seven teams in championship history have let in more goals than that after the first 10 games of a season it's Pretty remarkable how you can be that bad defensively. But they've looked really poor. I mean, you consider the expectations of the new ownership, the players they've brought in as well. The manager's position is going to be scrutinised and I won't be surprised if they decide to sack him over the international break. This international break in particular is always seen as a bit of a burial ground for managers anyway. And as I say, I I won't be surprised if Hull decides to have a change unfortunately um Swansea deserve a lot of credit for this win though even though Hall were so poor they always look the most likely and possibly could have scored more maybe should have scored more actually young Luke Kundal came off the bench midfield he was very impressive Ryan Manning on the left was dangerous and Joel Pirro looks like he's back to the player from last season as well we've been saying Swansea have looked like they're turning the corner haven't we and I'd say that corner has turned now yeah, absolutely. They they're starting to hit uh, hit their stride. Um, it took them a lot longer last season to to get into that position, but they are looking much much better. I think Martin showed that he can be tactically a little bit more flexible as well. Obviously, he went back to a four four two the other week, um, and in this game, he's gone back to a back three with wing backs, and it's a system that worked really well. Um, as I said. Hull were bad, but Swansea took advantage of that, and I don't think you could have said that this time last year. I, you know, Swansea were bore drawers last this time last year, nil nils pretty much at <laughs> the other weekend. Um and now that they are starting to punish 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 opposition. And okay, the only argument you could probably say uh, that lets Swansea down a little bit is they didn't score more than three. And if you're coming away from uh, a win and saying that you're disappointed they didn't score more, then it's it's been a very good day for you. But Joel Pirro was very good. One player I want to point out in particular that's impressed me over the last couple of weeks is Nathan Wood. I think he's he's been a brilliant player and one Middlesbrough might kick themselves selling um, selling so early on in his career in a few years' time. Yeah, he's really impressed me as well. He's been basically a mainstay mm-hmm. in the Swansea team, anti. And before that, he hadn't really had much first-team experience yeah. at this kind of level, has he? But he's been, he looks certainly up to the part. Preston nil, Sheffield United 2. It's that time of the week again where we gush over how good Sheffield United are, Justin. It's actually getting quite difficult, really, to talk about them, isn't it? Because... They are just a class above everyone else right now. 
Yeah, they are. Um, they've got that uh, winning mentality, that uh, muscle memory um, that teams, that good teams can develop if you if you have a good start in the championship. But um, all, all Sheffield United do is just to maintain consistency. And I think that the interesting thing is you can't actually say they've been really good away from home, but they've got the best away record at the moment in a division. So they've not really hit fourth gear yet I don't think um, especially away from home at home they've been a different a different gravy and if you're winning games away from home and you're saying that they're not quite up to speed yet it's quite a frightening thought but yeah this this was um this was a really good display against a really awkward pressing team to play against who are going to create chances against you against you and and, and Sheffield United stood firm the back three were once again immense Ahmed Hozic was once again immense and Dai was dangerous there's not much else we can really say that we haven't said over the past couple of weeks that Sheffield United fans will be surprised about. Yeah, you're not wrong. This probably was not their most dominating performance by any means, but as it so often has done this season, their quality shone through and proved to be the difference. And it's really hard to pick a weakness in this team, isn't it? And even when you do, it feels like you're nitpicking. You just go through each player in the eleven, And, I mean, the defence is outstanding it's just rock solid the midfield Norwood Berger and Dye have all been some of the I mean if we were picked to pick our team of the seasons right now Justin it'd probably be those three in midfield wouldn't it because <laughs> all three have just had individual brilliant seasons so far and then McBurney Brewster both look like they're getting back to the best the wingbacks have been great as well I, I'm struggling to see where this team goes wrong this season, Justin. They might hit a slump in form at some point, but I don't see it lasting particularly long. And people might say, what if they have a few injuries? They have done. <laughs> they have had injuries, yeah, yeah. haven't they? The likes of Sharp, Low, etc., etc. They've They've just got so much strength in depth that it's not been a problem at all. And this team look like a top two side, don't they? Yeah. Easily right now. I mean, the five points clear a third already and it could just be a matter of time before they start pulling clear, but they have just been irresistible so far of the Sheffield United side and Paul Eckenbottom's well and truly getting the best out of them. Uh, Preston were the better team for sections of this game, but didn't have too much in the way of clear-cut chances and goals continues to be the big problem at Deepdale. Preston have now scored the joint fewest goals ever after 10 games in a championship season. They've only managed three so far. It seems like fans are getting a bit frustrated as well. They were singing, you don't know what you're doing, after Ryan Lowe took off Emil Reese and Alvaro Fernandez, which, in fairness, does seem a bit of a strange decision when you're 1-0 down with 20 minutes to go. What are you thinking with Preston, Justin? I think just a little bit of perspective is needed. Um, they've made two errors in this game that have led to Sheffield United goals. I think those two errors are cut out. They don't They don't lose the game. Um, it's only their second loss of the season as well. And it's Ryan Lowe's full, first full season in the Championship. So I think Preston are going to go through the motions. Um, and Sheffield United really showed the quality that they've got in a team because you said it yourself, Preston were the better side in sections. But Sheffield United have that little bit of quality that Preston are lacking. And I know Sheffield United plunge a lot of money into the team but if you look at the players that are available over the summer um, that would you'd argue would be betting would be batting in the same ballpark as Preston Cotton Morris went to Luton for um, less than two million pounds for example there are good players available um, and I don't think Preston take the risk often enough they play it far too safe which unfortunately I think holds them back quite considerably in terms of making progress forwards and I think Ryan Lowe was a really good risk to take but he's not been given that same amount of support in bringing plays in, um, and unfortunately, I think it's just I think Preston is going to be one of those sides, like Cardiff, um, 
who are going to go through the motions this season because they've got managers who are experiencing their first full season in the Championship and it's it's going to be a struggle at times. I completely agree with you, Justin. There was a reason why I said before the season started that Preston seemed destined to have another mid-table mm-hmm. season. Preston fans got very annoyed about that, but we're just seeing another copy and paste season with them really, aren't we? Yeah. Ryan Lowe is a good manager, but just the same as past Preston managers, he's been let down by the owners who don't like spending money on players. So they've got to be extra savvy with their recruitment, which other clubs have simply been better at, haven't they? Because most of Preston signings have either been free agents or loan players. And Preston are just struggling to compete in that market, unfortunately. I'm fairly confident Ryan Lowe will go on to be a very good manager. Is that going to be with Preston, though? I think it depends on whether the owners want to seriously back him. Because Preston can change managers all they want, but they're just going to keep coasting along in mid-table of the Championship for the rest of time, unless they have a go at some point. Because their squad's good. It's just not good enough to mount a playoff push, is it? You just need that extra bit more that Preston are unfortunately lacking and other clubs have in abundance. Mm -hmm. Let's go to Norwich. They dropped points for the first time in seven games after drawing one all at home to West Brom. Steve Bruce was not happy with the officiating here. He thought Norwich's equaliser shouldn't have been allowed and that West Brom should have had a penalty too. I think he's wrong on both counts, Justin. Um... I think it could be handball for the goal. I think it may have hit Byram's arm. I've seen it a couple of times. I can't make up my mind. don't think he's offside. I think there's a West Brom player playing him onside, but I've not seen the best angle of it. Obviously, if VAR's around, that will have a much better angle. The John Swift penalty incident, John Swift feels the contact and he goes down. I think it was a very obvious um, attempt at manipulating the referee's mindset. So, yeah, I completely agree. I think Steve Bruce is, is wrong on both accounts. And I think he's clutching at straws. It sounded like a very desperate attempt to justify dropping a lead, I think. Yeah, I, I don't think that touched Byron's arm at all. I think it looked a bit weird, but yeah. I think it's yeah. come off his, his midriff, if anything. Uh, Steve Bruce may not have been happy with the referee, but he should be happy with the performance because this was a lot better from West Brom, I thought. Yeah, completely agree. Ken, it was a... Um, I mean, you look at Norwich and how, how they've been steamrolling through teams quite comfortably. I know they've had a couple of performances that they've won. Sunderland game comes to mind in the one after that, where they've pushed a look a bit, rode a look a little bit, but they've come out with three points. Speaking about Sheffield United having that muscle memory of winning games, Norwich had it as well. And West Brom were able to stem the flow. They were able to stem the tide of, of the creative um, force that Norwich have started to develop into. Um, and they more than matched them. They more than matched them because they've got the quality in the team to do it. It's just whether or not they can they can do it over 90 minutes and they struggle to get that second goal again. That is just letting them down. Um, I think Thomas Asante adds a really nice mechanism for them in that final third because he's not quite a number nine. He's a bit of a he's a bit of a ten. He's a bit of a nine. He's a bit of a wide player as well. And I think that that's um, that's really going to benefit um, West Brom going forward and probably a little bit more effect than Carl and Grant. Um, but yeah, a much better performance from Steve Bruce's side. Um, it's just more drop points. That's it. That's all you're going to look at with results. doesn't matter about performances. They need results. What you're saying is Thomas Asante is a 9.5. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. He's a 9.6, I would say. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, still just the one win on the board for West Brom, but Steve Bruce said after the game that he still believes wins are close. The Athletics say he will remain manager beyond the international break what do you think Justin do you think wins are close I, I don't I honestly I don't know 
because as we said, Westworld's performances haven't justified their results. They've been a lot better than their performances. Um, but performances don't get you into the top six results do. You can play horribly bad for weeks and win games 1-0 and no one will bat an eyelid. Frank Lampard did it with Derby. He got Derby into the playoffs playing shit and no one bats an eyelid. Uh, and that's that's what it is. I've said it before, it's a results-driven business. That's letting Steve Bruce's side down. It doesn't matter how good the performances are. If, you, if you're not getting wins on the board, if you're not getting three points, fans will get aggravated. Um, media will turn against you and so does, so does the ownership at, at some point. Um, that's that's the reality facing Steve Bruce at the minute. It's been a long time since Justin Peters dug out Frank Lampard on this podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> it was always going to happen eventually <laughs> this season. Um I can see this West Brom side making big strides up the table after the international break, Justin. I sound like a broken record at this point, but performances have been much better than results suggest, apart from maybe that Birmingham game where they were pretty bad. The issues are at either end of the pitch, aren't they? Putting away chances and keeping clean sheets. They've only kept one clean sheet this season. You're not going to finish in the top six with a record like that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And then I don't need to explain putting away chances because it's quite mind-blowing how many good chances West Brom miss in games but they have got winnable games coming up after the break if West Brom continue to play how they have done they should start getting three points on the board on a more regular basis I think Steve Bruce needs to make sure they are three points because otherwise a change might have to happen and the pressure that he's feeling right now may become a bit too much to bear after after the international break this wasn't Norwich at their best though but if you're getting a point and not playing well, that's not a bad thing, is it? After winning six games on the bounce, the marking for the first goal was absolutely abysmal from a Norwich perspective. Dar O'Shea had the freedom of Norfolk there. Uh, Gabriel Sara made his first league start, the £6 million new signing from Brazil. Not an amazing showing, although he did hit the woodwork. We'll have to wait and see what else he has to offer. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Sunderland and Watford's draw, as well as Burnley making it seven unbeaten. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. An 86th minute equaliser from 18-year-old Jurison Bennett gave Sunderland a point away at Watford. It finished 2-2. Good game this. Both teams will feel like they could have won it. It's even more impressive considering Sunderland didn't have a recognised striker in their starting eleven. But that just goes to show how Tony Mowbray still managed to churn out results with this team. And they sit fifth in the table. I think they're ticking over quite nicely under Mr Brownbray, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Like I said in, in midweek, that um, Mowbray's walked into a really good situation at Sunderland where the squad's in good shape. It's well balanced. Obviously, there's a lack of depth up front, but seemingly not too much of an issue right now. Could be an issue in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but yeah, I think they, Sunderland have taken to the Championship a lot quicker than I anticipated they would. I think I thought they'd be drawing a lot more games than they have rather than winning them, to be honest with you. I thought they'd be that sort of start from, from Sunderland. Um, but actually, yeah, they, they've been really good. They've been really good going forward. They're really good on the counter-attack. They're really smooth on the counter-attack. I mean, as we saw in midweek against Reading with that, that passing sequence, I know it wasn't quite a counter-attack, but... Reading got forward, Sunderland won the ball back in within seven or eight passes. Uh, they are they're in the final third and 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 going down on goal. And I thought in this game against Watford, 
Suddenly we're once again really dangerous on the counter-attack. So, yeah, much better out of possession. Uh, a much better team out of possession than they are probably with possession. But it's going to help when forwards come in um, and, and, yeah, give them that give them that uh, option that final third that they don't have at the moment um but yeah it's 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 been a really good start from uh, from something that I don't think anybody can can argue against that yeah i thought Ross Stewart getting injured would really hinder them justin but they figured out a way to keep the momentum and not showing any signs of stopping right now uh, patrick roberts has suddenly found form as well which has massively helped them in the last couple of weeks jack clark's been incredible this season Alex Pritchard's been showing some of his best form at this level in years there's a lot of positives with this Sunderland side and even losing your manager and top goal scorer hasn't stopped them so it makes you wonder how far the Sunderland side can go I mean I'm excited to see it because they play some really nice football as we saw with that delicious goal <laughs> against Reading and they've got some really good young players as well so it's a really exciting time to be a Sunderland fan isn't it which hasn't been the case for a long old time but they're going in the right direction all of a sudden aren't they and as we say doesn't look like it's showing any times any signs of stopping unfortunately Justin we can chalk this down as another game where Watford have failed to win when they're the favourites considering that'll be the case in what 90% Mm. of their games this season that's a problem isn't it it's a massive problem and it's it's one that Rob Edwards has got to solve with the players that he's got as we know transfer window shut and the didn't get the backing he needed to to overhaul the side, but I think there were some good moments, there were some bad moments from Watford, um, and that's been the case throughout the game. They've not been able to put in a consistent performance throughout the ninety minutes, and I think that's partly down to the personnel that that Rob Edwards has got available to him. I know you've mentioned the the issues um, playing against teams who are comfortable not having the ball, and it was the same thing, same case here against Sunderland. I know Watford created a lot more chances in this game than they have done in, in previous games but Sunderland were very very good on the counter-attack and worries me a little bit that they were able to create as many opportunities as, as they did at Watford's home ground um, it just wasn't a dominated performance you need in this in this um, scenario that Robert Edwards has got he, he needs to find a way to to get more balance out of his team and more consistency in, in terms of yeah game management because it's just it's just too poor at the moment I think for the players that he's got available to him it's not a dig at Rob Edwards um, but it certainly needs major room for improvement yeah there's certainly room for improvement it's just about whether these players are, are right for Rob Edwards really isn't exactly. it and it doesn't feel like they really are um, there were positives admittedly the pass from 18 year old Yasser Espria in the lead up to the first Watford goal was unbelievable. Uh, Keenan Davis played well, got his first goal as well, which is a massive boost for them. João Pedro was dangerous. Shock. They need wins though, don't they? Because they're sliding down the table slowly but surely. And that gap between them and the top six is only going to get bigger if they keep failing to mm-hmm. win games that they should be winning, really, shouldn't it? Not saying they should have won this one, but when you consider it's Watford playing against a team who's just come up from League One, put it like that it should be a game where they should be looking to get three points really shouldn't they Burnley are unbeaten in seven after winning 2-1 at home to Bristol City a solid win for Vincent Company's boys they dominate possession Bristol City looked dangerous on the break but they mostly dealt with it well Jay Rodriguez has now got five goals in his last seven games Justin he seems to be answering the question of who will be leading the line for Burnley very well doesn't he yeah, I, I wrote an article at the start of the season. I had Jay Rodriguez down as one of the contenders for Golden Boot. And for me, just he's just a perfect number nine. Probably at the wrong end of his career. 
but he's such he's such a, the ideal number nine at this um, in uh, in the championship for a championship forward because okay he's not he's not he's not quick but I don't think Jay Rodriguez has ever been quick but for a player of his size his his movement is great he's a yard quicker than most defenders he's yeah as I say he's he's got the size aspect which is a massively massively beneficial for uh, for Burnley and as well as that um, is is the ball when he's got when he's got the ball at his feet he's very competent as well so yeah really good number nine he just knows where the back of the net is at this level scored a lot of goals for West Brom when he was on loan a couple of few seasons ago and he's going to do the same this season um, if you put him in the right positions and you get balls into him whether that be through his movement or getting crossed into the box he's going to he's going to get a chance he's going to put them away really really good player and one that is vastly underrated I think still um, at this level yeah, I completely agree with that, Justin. I mean, I was just loving to look at his gold record at championship level. Got 22 for West Brom last time he was in the championship. Before that, you've got to go a long way back to that mm. when he was at Burnley the first time. Got 15 goals and then 14 goals as well, or maybe the other way around. Um, and then you look at his goal record in the Premier League in recent times, maybe not as not as good, but still at this level, he he is a mighty good player, isn't yeah. he? Um, Justin, we have visited the Burnley going up basket. In a while, last time we checked, you had one egg in that basket. I know you're being careful about not putting all your eggs in that basket, but are you tempted to add another egg at all? Yeah, I think I will. I think I'm really, I am really liking what I'm seeing from Burnley now. Um, I was a bit, I was a bit unsure uh, at first because I wasn't sure how they were going to sustain it, but they've been unbeaten in in the last uh, over the last several games. They're looking really, really good at managing games. They're, they're doing it still, I think, without a. Um, a fully recognised back four that is full of experience. If you look at um, well, the back five, including the goalkeeper, Martin, Murich, Harwood, Bellis, not the most experienced players. Connor Roberts, one of the most experienced players. If Charlie Taylor's not in that, in that back, in that back five, um, it helps having Jack Cork and, and Josh Cullen in the midfield as well. But it's not, it's not a massively experienced back line. But they're playing really, really well. Um, and yeah, Vincent Company deserves so much credit for transforming the team. Um, and getting the best out of the players that he's got because he needed backing. He got backed. It's a similar scenario that Rob Edwards needed at, at Watford, unfortunately. Rob Edwards didn't get it. They're struggling. Burnley got it. They're not struggling. Simple as that. Behind Norwich and Sheffield United, they've been the next most convincing side yeah. for me, Justin. I mean, it helps when they have got as much quality in depth as they have. Nathan Teller, not been as great recently, but he's certainly showed in moments how brilliant a player he is. Josh Brownhill's been excellent. Rodriguez, as we mentioned, has been sensational. Martson, Harwood Bellis, two young players at the back who have really stood out for me as well. And then keep in mind, I mean, Scott Twine still hasn't had much of a go yet in this team. Um, I think that's because of injury, but whatever the case, you'd have thought when he gets you know, full full sprints, he'll be a really, really dangerous player for this Burnley team. So, yeah, there's a lot to be feared with this time, with this side, aren't they? And mm-hmm. they've got to do the catching up with Norwich and Sheffield United, but I think they're definitely capable of doing it just because of what we've seen from them so far. Um, just making sure, Justin, is that two eggs you've got in the Burnley going up basket? I think it is two eggs. Uh, I could put a third one in. Obviously, we're going into Ooh. the international break. But we'll see how they come out of that international break when the company's got a little bit more time to spend with his team. So okay. I'm looking very, I'm very excited. Very, very excited. Two eggs, possibly another after the international break. Uh, 
Narky Bowles got on the score sheet for Bristol City, which meant he scored more goals at Turf Moor for them than he did in a Burnley shirt, which uh, I liked. Um, in the late game on Saturday night, Middlesbrough and Rotherham played out a goalless draw. How did Middlesbrough not win this, Justin? Clearly the better side. The issue before hasn't really been scoring goals. It's been keeping out and... This was the complete opposite here. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's frustrating from a Middlesbrough perspective because we've been waiting for this sort of performance for for a while where they where they dominate where they where are the, where they are the better team throughout the ninety minutes, um, but unfortunately they just couldn't transform that into into goals. Um, and they had chances. They had chances. They were very good um, at getting the likes of what more immune is into into good areas. And Matt Crooks as um, as well was was good at um, good at doing what Matt Crooks does, arriving in the box and um, and being a, a right hassle uh, for opposition. Um, but I think that's. I think it's going to be down to confidence that they weren't able to get the ball over the line. They've been going through the mill. Um, fans have not been best pleased, um, to say the very least. Um, I saw a tweet that made me laugh where a Middlesbrough supporter just wanted them to underachieve in peace, um, which, which made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, it's, it's it's quite funny how how quick perspective changes for for sides and. I know I'm going to hear you in a moment say, I still think Middlesbrough will, will get going under Chris Wilder. But again, they're another team that are running out of time if they want to meet their objectives because they need three points. Justin, I think Middlesbrough can <laughs> still keep going under Chris Wilder. <laughs> I just think they need a bit of luck to go their way. That's all it is for me. I continue to be hopelessly optimistic about them, even though I constantly wonder why. Uh, but let's give some praise to Rotherham, Justin. I mean, this wasn't an amazing performance. They were very much hanging on by the skin of their teeth in this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but only Sheffield United and Preston have conceded fewer goals than them. And they were rock solid in League One last season. And we've been saying if they carry on, carry that over into this season, they'll have a great chance of staying up. And so far, that's what we're seeing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Rotherham, compared to their last uh, couple of seasons where they've been in the Championship, they've convinced me more that they're a very good side. And Perhaps we we uh, undervalued what they can bring to the championship when we were putting together our preseason predictions, and easy to do. We don't have too much insight on on League One teams, um, but they've managed to carry over their habits from League One into the championship, a bit like Wigan, and it's paying off for, for both of those sides, which is a massive, massive plus. Um, and I think you know any Rotherham fan who says sitting eighth in the table after nine games, fourteen points on the board, six goals conceded. I'd bite both your hands off and maybe your feet as well because, as I say, they've been far more convincing in this in this uh, season than they have been in any of the last few championships. Probably going back to two thousand, the mid two thousands under Ronnie Moore. Um, yeah, they've been they've been really really good, really really solid. And Paul Warren's got a really really good base for him to build on. If they can get to a point in the um, in the winter where they're in a good place come January and they can add to their team, um, they will be they'll be absolutely fine this season. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you keep your feet away from Justin Bridge. <laughs> uh, Luton won for only the third time this season, beating Blackpool 2-0 at home. That lovely goal from Reese Burke. What did I say? Blackpool. Sorry. Beating Blackburn 2-0 at home. Lovely goal from Reese Burke. Not very often you see a centre-half scoring with his side foot from 25 yards out, but that was absolutely delicious. Carlton Morris has now scored six goals in six games. The man is on fire, Justin, and I know you are the chief of the Carlton Morris fan club. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, my, the fanzine I have, Carlton Morris, it's borderline obsessive. Um, may, may get an injunction from him to leave him alone, but 
Why not? It's, yeah, he needs he needs praise. He needs shouting from the rooftops actually, because I've said it so many times over the past two or three seasons. He's got everything in his locker, absolutely everything you need in number nine. He, I I don't know what his stronger foot is because his left foot finisher is incredible. He's good in the air. He's good with the ball at his feet. He's so good at dribbling as well, which again is frighteningly weird for a number nine of his size. Um, yeah, he's just a he's just a, an all round goal scorer. I had an argument with an Norwich fan at the start of the season about Carlton Morris being able to get into the Norwich team right now. He absolutely can. He'd be a shoe-in for any team chasing promotion. And Luton could well be one of those teams if they can find consistency and repeat the performance that they put in against Blackburn because he's a goal scorer and he'll be a massive benefit to any team chasing top two, top six. It's a big shout, but I think he's definitely got the capabilities mm. of being a Premier League striker just because he's a big physical boy, isn't he? Um, quick, strong, good in the air. A lot of boxes tick there, isn't there? Uh, Blackburn couldn't follow up their win against Watford. They've got some very winnable games coming up, though, so we'll be hoping for better after the international break. Millwall 2, Blackpool 1. Millwall, good value for this win. New signing Zion Fleming looked dangerous and was unlucky not to get on the score sheet, although he may argue he should after the first goal was given as a known goal. I'm not sure about that one. Benekafobi got on the score sheet too. This result takes Millwall up to 13th after a sloppy start to the season, but I've noticed that they've gone from drawing loads of games to not drawing any games now. They've only drawn the one game so far, so it's either win or lose most of the time with them. For Blackpool, Charlie Patino got on the score sheet in his first start since coming back from injury on loan from Arsenal. A lot of people are very excited by him. But Blackpool have very quietly slid down the table, Justin. They sit 19th. They've just one win from six, which completely passed me by. But are you concerned... No, I, I'm not concerned. As I say, they've had a couple of injuries. The loss of Josh Bowler is, is a massively significant one. So I think Upton's got to find a way to get around that. But if you take the performances, Corbiano and Jerry Ace into account in, uh, in this game against Millwall, they were very good, or at least you know, they're very solid, very solid games. But as I say, he's gone back. He's gone to a back three, for example, which I know he's deployed at times, but it's a slightly new, slightly new system. Um, he's got to get. He's got to find a way to get more out of that front three. Um, to fill the void of of, of Josh Bowler, um, and he has had injuries to contend with as well. He's got to find the balance. Um, I think the key thing for Alberton is finding that balance in that in that back three or back four, whichever ones he he deploys um, to to get the best to get the best out of his team. But I think we said that Black Blackpool again another team that will go through the motions and they'll they'll be very happy with just staying in the Championship again after not really being able to invest in the summer. And it's not a massively experienced team either. Um, a lot of loan signings came in. Not the um, not the most experienced players, but they've got quality in that uh, in that team to to get results, um, and I think they will do. I think they will do. It wasn't too long ago they beat Huddersfield and and drew with Bristol City and 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 Burnley. Really displayed some good habits. They'll get back to that again. Yeah, I'm a bit worried about how many goals they've conceded. Only Bristol City and Hull have conceded more goals than them this season, and the stats back it up that they've given away quite a few chances. So I think that's the main thing that Michael Appleton needs to work out. Not sure why they're conceding so many goals <laughs> considering they've got the same personnel as last season and it's they were very solid last yeah. season, weren't they? So it should be a lot better and maybe that changes soon. Final game is QPR nil, Stoke nil. The main talking point from this game was a Stoke claim for a penalty. Penalty or no penalty for you, Justin? Uh, no, I'm making a penalty, I think. Not had the clearest view on it. Um, it's one that could be given, one that could be given. I, yeah. So I know Alex Neal was very irate, but again, he's, he's desperate for results, so can't really can't really take that into account. 
Yeah, I think it probably was a penalty on the evidence that I saw, but it wasn't the most clear cut yeah. and definitely not the most outrageous decision I've ever seen. So Alex Neal can range all he wants, but that's how it goes. <laughs> right now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. Now, as I said at the start of the pod, we're recording this bit separately to the rest of it because we recorded the middle section when we were completely unaware that Steve Morrison had been sacked because we weren't looking at our phones while we were recording and then it happened while that was happening. So we'll talk about that news now, Justin. Steve Morrison has been relieved of his duties as Cardiff boss. Are you surprised at all? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely surprised. Um, I think the timing is a bit strange. We're only 10 games into the season. He's been given the tools to completely overhaul the squad so he can implement a new style of play. And yes, the results have been mixed. Okay, They don't score too many goals. They don't create too many chances either. But I don't think he's had all of the pieces of the puzzle in that final third for the full duration of those 10 games to really see what his, his style of play is about. Um I don't think they've been the worst defensively. Either. Okay, they've scored, uh, they've conceded eleven goals this season. It's not the best. It's not the worst um, defensive record. And okay, they're eighteenth. And this is where I expect Cardiff to finish this season in around eighteenth or between eighteenth and twelve. I think that would be a, a fairly good progressive season for Cardiff under uh, with a new style of play um, under a young coach who's in his first full season um, of management at this level. And I think. Yeah, it's, it is a complete surprise. As I say, I, I don't think he deserved to be sacked. I, did, I think he deserved a little bit more time to get more out of this squad. Okay, if they go on a big losing streak, that's justifiable. But at this stage of the season, off the back of a good win against Middlesbrough um, in midweek and a so-so, against, a so-so performance against Huddersfield, which could have been tipped uh, balance-wise if, if Callum Robson would have put his penalty away. It's just a very strange, it's just really strange timing. I don't think it's strange at all. I think it's the right time to do it, quite frankly. Because Cardiff, for me, since Steve Morrison's came in, have they got better? They can't have gone much worse than they were under Mick McCarthy, but I don't see a vast improvement. And I'm a bit worried about Cardiff going in the wrong direction the longer Steve Morrison's in charge, because I've been saying for a long time, I'm not a big fan of Steve Morrison as a manager, because I just don't think he's as tactically aware as others in the division. The way he deals with the press has irked me at times when he um, dug out um, Max Waters last season and when the press are questioning his tactics and he'll you know, give a sarcastic answer or act like he doesn't want to be there. I just I'm just not a big fan of that. But Cardiff fans for a long time now have been, you know, ringing the bell for Steve Morrison is a good manager and I don't I haven't really seen it on the pitch myself. There's been a lot of blind optimism about how good a manager he actually is. And it's, it just doesn't seem that much better. I feel like he's tried to do too much too soon as well with this Cardiff team, trying to implement a completely different style of play when he didn't have the tools to do it. He's had more tools this season with the players that he's brought in, but still. Um, and I've, I was firmly under the belief that Cardiff probably would have gone down or be on the very edge of the relegation zone last season had it not been for the business they did in January and I think that seriously saved them because otherwise does Steve Morrison add anything to this team as a manager I don't think he does and I feel like a better manager could get more out of this team because there are there is the skeleton there of a good Cardiff side a better manager could get more out of this team for me so who they get in next is going to be really important I don't think Steve Morrison was the man so 
I'm not surprised he's not sacked, nor do I think it's the wrong decision personally. That brings me nicely on, Justin, to who you think should be the next Cardiff manager. Who would you go for? Well, if Cardiff are going to justify the sacking in any way, they've got to show ambition and now not only to bring in a, a good young coach who has experience of working with young players and getting getting results at the same time while not sacrificing uh, an attacking element of their possession play. Um, but also getting yeah a name that's going to get fans back on board because judging by the responses to the news on social, fans aren't too happy. Um, so they've got to go out and get a name who's going to come in um, and hit the ground running. Very difficult thing to do at this stage of the season. Um, but if I was to throw names in the house, Stephen Schumacher at Plymouth, would be um, yeah someone I, I would look to link with Cardiff. He works with young players at Plymouth and he plays a really good, attractive style of play, really progressive style of play as well. Plays through the middle thirds, slices teams open very often. His teams score a lot of goals as well. I think Cardiff, um, their start to this season is their worst uh, scoring tally since 1984. Um They've scored seven, which is their, which is their lowest um, since what? Well, yeah, 30, 30, 40 years, only forty, thirty-eight years. Mass is terrible. Um, so yeah, Cardiff, Cardiff need to go out and get a manager who can who can do that. And Liam Manning will inevitably be a name be a name linked with that uh, with that role. He's not going through the best of times at the moment with with NK Dons. He could be tempted. Similarly, similarly with with Mark Robbins. I know he's not in that young young coach category, but what he's done at Coventry over the last few years. Um, has been incredibly impressive and he deserves a chance at a club who who may or may not back him, who may back him, who will back him actually. He deserves that opportunity. I think Cardiff can afford to go for a manager who's a bit of a gamble, more of a long-term option as opposed to getting in a firefighter, if you see what I mean, because things haven't been great this season, but they're not so bad and perilous that I'd be staring down the barrel at League One at the moment for Cardiff. So I think they can afford to do that. The utmost importance is to get someone who knows how to work with young players because Cardiff have got so many talented young players on their books and getting in someone who can make the most of that will go a long way to getting the most out of this team it'll also help as well if they play a possession style of play that's what Steve Morrison's been going towards hasn't implemented it very well but if they get that then I feel like the players are there to work with that plus the Cardiff fans are very keen for that kind of approach as opposed to your Mick McCarthy's your Neil Warnock's your Neil Harris's so that would make sense to me what name stands out there I'm not too sure off the top of my head I do like Schumacher at Plymouth I think it that would be a, a good move whether he'd go or not I'm not too sure whatever the case those two have got to be the key things for me someone who's got a record of developing young players and also someone who plays a possession style of play. Um, and a long-term option as well. Someone who's young and up-and-coming, not an old dinosaur that we've seen Cardiff revert to in recent years. Uh, but there we go. That's been our reaction to Steve Morrison's sacking. Now let's go back to the news with Ryan from the past. Also, you can look forward to the polls where we ask which manager we think <laughs> will get sacked next. And that includes Steve Morrison, who didn't win that poll bizarrely, but there you go. Right, Ryan from the past, back to you. Yes, it's time for the news and Reading have now confirmed the re-signing of Andy Cowell on a deal until January. They did that last season, a deal only until January and then he left 
so it'd be interesting to see if it were to happen hmm. again. Also, he's been given the number two shirt, Justin, which I uh. believe is morally wrong. Horrible. In the monthly awards, Sheffield United boss Paul Heckingbottom has won Manager of the Month for August. No surprise there, really. Hull striker Oscar Stupinan has won Player of the Month after he scored a shed load of goals in his first season. Preston have defended their decision to issue a lifetime ban to a fan due to their comments about the Queen. The fan tweeted, Will I be ejected from the stadium if I boo during a minute's silence for the death of the Queen? The club says one specific tweet crossed the boundary of acceptability and by associating us as a club, a stadium ban was issued. As with all decisions, if the individual were to make representations as to why our decision was inappropriate to their actions, we will always listen. This seems ridiculously harsh, Justin. Yeah, I feel like um, the appropriate response would have been explaining that he would have got a lifetime stadium ban, a lifetime ban from Preston, had he have boot drawing the minute silence. Um, I think that would have been much more better for them as a football club, rather than just saying, right, you've asked the wrong question there, you're out. Just seem a little bit, I don't know, dictatorial, dictatorial, I don't know. A bit over the top, yeah. isn't it? I just think this is the latest example of some people in this country losing their minds <laughs> over the death of the Queen, whether it's holiday parks closing for a whole day oh, or God, yeah. this now. I know it's a sensitive time for the nation, but banning a fan for this, it's a, it's a tweet. It's not like he's actually done it either. It's, oh, exactly. It's just mad. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely honest. mad. And then finally, 12 of the 28-man England squad have played in the Championship as recently as 2019. Justin, what does this tell us? We will repeat this stat in two years' time when more Championship players play for England at the Euros in 2024. 2024? Yeah, 2024. But it tells us that the Championship is a very good league and it should be... There should be more players coming through and given the opportunity, but there aren't because the Premier League gobbled them up with their riches. Curse the Premier League. Curse the Premier League. But it also goes to show that we've got players in the Championship right now who could very well be playing for England in like a year or two Alex time. Scott. I mean, Ivan, Ivan Tony, Alex Scott, are you going for, are you? Yeah, 100%. He's going to play for England uh, at some point. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, Ivan Tony is the point I was making. Literally playing in the Championship the season before last and now in the England squad. I mean, I was ringing the bell for him being in the England squad before that, wasn't I? Uh, so it's glad, I'm glad that Gareth Southgate is finally listening to me. Justin, let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the Championship. The first question we asked was this. Which manager deserves the sack the most out of the following? Shutter of Aladzi, Steve Bruce, Steve Morrison or Chris Wilder? Who are you going for? Maybe maybe Steve Bruce, but of Aladzi. Don't think any Hall fan would have invented envisaged Hall being um, being 20th after 10 games of the season so perhaps Arvel had to put a lot of players come in so it's quite harsh to to um, to sack him just yet so maybe maybe Steve Bruce how are Hall 20th they were, they were doing really weird, well in the season yeah. how's that happened bonkers, bonkers. <laughs> when you said it then you just like really <laughs> um, yeah 53% of uh, people voted Steve Bruce 20% said Chris Wilder 17% said Shota Avaladze, 10% said Steve Morrison. Are Sheffield United going up, yes or no? Yes, 100%. <laughs> Cursed. 100%, wow. Um, if you have to say it right now, you would say <laughs> yes, though, wouldn't you? 80% of people said yes, 20% said no. And finally, which deodorant do you use, roll-on or spray? I use both. At the same time? I put roll-on on, then I put spray on. Wow. 
<laughs> I'm just amazed about some of the things that go on in your head, Justin. It's weird. Yeah, this is since doing this podcast, it sort of makes me come across as a really peculiar person who probably should be under watch for 24 hours just to really gauge just how stranger i might be um but yeah i put roll on on and then i put spray on i think that's a completely normal thing to do i'm double guarding i'm giving myself not just 48 hour protection um but 92 hour protection 88 hour protection and my mass is failing me right now it doesn't explain the stench that always comes from <laughs> when i see you in person um out of interest what time did you get to the dog match yesterday i didn't go i didn't go at all you didn't go I think oh, okay. fair enough. Then. Yeah. What what was the latest time you went this season? Uh, I got to the Plymouth game fifteen minutes. <laughs> I got to the Plymouth game fifteen, 15 minutes. Fifteen minutes. Late. I was working in my defence. That is unbelievable. So uses both roll on and spray deodorants, and also comes to football matches fifteen minutes late. What a Ladies virgin! Eh? <laughs> Your words, not mine. Right now, it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show, Brady Frost from Andy Takes That Chance and Adam Pendlebury from Progress with Unity. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I would say name the last eight World Cup hosts and Brady would say Russia, that's one down. And Adam would say Brazil, that's another down. But if Justin would say Uganda, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated i'm enjoying the world cup theme to these questions at the moment so let's keep that going can you name for me the last eight players to score in a world cup final i will add own goals do not count nor do penalty shootouts um we'll start off with brady you could go first can you name me a player who scored one of the last eight goals in a world cup final does extra time count Yes. Mario Goetze? Yeah, absolutely right. I feel like that's the most obvious one on this list. He, of course, scored the winner in the 2014 final. Adam, you can go next. Mm, am I going back too far? Let's have a see. There's not been a lot of goals, so I'm going to take a risk and go 2002, Ronaldo. Is that too far back? Ronaldo scored both in 2002, but that was not one of the last eight, uh-huh. unfortunately. You've got nine players who have scored since then. So Adam's out, unfortunately. You've got seven to go. Justin? There was about seven goals in the 2018 World Cup final, wasn't there? Isn't it sure. amazing how that was the last World Cup final, but it's so unmemorable? Yeah, you're completely right. Um God, Paul Pogba scored in that game. I'm sure he did, but I'll go with I'll go with Griezmann. Yeah, Griezmann scored a penalty, which was France's second goal in the 2018 final. So you've got two so far, six to go. Brady, <laughs> that was a really boring final. I remember watching that. I couldn't. Um... Killing Mbappe. I feel like he scored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He scored France's fourth in the last World Cup. So that's three down, Justin. Are we counting Croatia, aren't we? Of course we are. Okay. Mandzukic. Why wouldn't we be? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's because this is in my head now. Mandzukic scored. I'm sure he did. 
Yep. He scored the most recent goal in a World Cup final, having scored Croatia's second in 2018. That means you are halfway there, Brady. Um, well, if I'm going to go with Justin's method of not counting Croatia, because he just obviously hates Croatia for some reason. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's out, but Andre Iniesta? Iniesta scored the seventh most recent, so that's absolutely correct. Scored the only goal in the 2010 final. Justin, the three to go. most recent, so there's one before him. Yes. Okay. <laughs> 2006. That was um, Italy, France. I can't remember that game at all. Zidane scored a penalty. I want to say that may have been the equaliser, but I'm not completely convinced. So I'm going to go with even Perisic back on Croatia. Yeah, Justin's counting Croatia now. Uh, <laughs> he scored Croatia's first in the World Cup final last time. Um, so you've got two remaining. Brady. Um, I'm going to have to go with the France. So we've had Pogba, Mbappe, Griezmann. Um, I will point out you haven't had Pogba yet, actually. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know if Pog... I honestly don't remember anything about a final. World Cup stopped for me after uh, England go out, so it's normally quite quite well before. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll go Pogba then. I can't think of anyone else. Paul Pogba. Yeah, spot on. He got France's third in the 2018 World Cup final. That means you've got one remaining. Justin? It's that Italy-France game, but I can't remember who took the lead, whether it was... Whether it was Italy or France, but the only goal that I can actually recall is Sedan's Penenka crossbar penalty. So I'm going to go Sedan. You're right, Sedan did score, but that wasn't one of the oh, last eight. Geez. There have been eight different scorers since him. That means it's down to Brady. Can you name the final goal scorer, Brady? Oh, Justin, you normally bail everyone out on this. Um... <laughs> Big crap this year. <laughs> <laughs> he looks so defeated as well. Um, so, all right, if Italy scored two thousand six, I can't. I think we're there probably over goals. Um, for context, I was twelve in two thousand six. I'm going to go <laughs> Del Piero. It wasn't Del Piero. Wow. We're thinking about the right game. You were looking for Italy's equaliser. And it's often forgotten that prior to getting obliterated by Zidane's head, it was Matarazzi. actually Marco Materazzi who oh. scored the equaliser. So there you go, boys. You've fallen at the final hurdle, which is such a shame. Damn it. Uh, but there I we knew go. that this as well. Been... I knew you that know. one as well. You should have said it then, Adam, instead of saying Ronaldo. But there we go. This has been the Secretary Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back again on Thursday. We've got an international break coming up, so I don't know what we'll actually be talking about, but me and Justin will come up with something, I'm sure. So we look forward to seeing you on Thursday. But a quick thank you to our guests on the show this week. It's Brady Frost from the Huddersfield Podcast, and he takes that chance. Thank you for your time today, Brady. No, cheers for having us, lads. Also with us, making his second-tier debut, a successful debut at that, is Adam Pendlebury from the Wigan Podcast, Progress with Unity. Adam, thank you for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me, and I'm, I'm certainly going to do um, a lot of revising before the next uh, <laughs> next time. <laughs> I should hope so as well. This has been the second-tier podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.